Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar. I'm Peter Oborn. I'm isolating from the virus in rural Wiltshire. And I'm Richard Heller. I'm self-isolating in the brown study of my residence, Rubato Towers, in London South East. And we are looking forward to the publication of uh, the Cricketer's Bible, Wisdom, next week. It's a sacred moment in the cricketing year. It certainly is. It's rather a poignant moment this year because we don't know when cricket is ever going to come back. Um, But we're now living in a world without cricket, without any scores at all. But it's wonderful to think that the record of one of the greatest seasons of all time, perhaps the greatest cricket English cricket season of all time is going to be available to us in a few days. Yes, I don't think there's any denying that 2019, England winning the World Cup and in the way we did, and of course that phenomenal series against Australia with that epic performance by Stokes, you really can't, there's no disputing this was a greater year than either of the two great years of our lifetime, 2005 or 1981. I think that's, I think that's right. Also worth remembering, there was a very exciting finish to the county championship as well. Yeah, where Somerset, heartbreakingly for somebody from the West Country, didn't win. I mean, it was. Uh, we, I'd love to have seen Somerset win the championship for the first time. Tragic, as you say, for Somerset fans, um, but amazing that they got so near to, to snatching it at the very, very end. If you're, if you're. Um... If you're Wisden, who are you going to choose, Richard, as the five cricketers of the year, the, the, crucial, the crucial decision, really? Well, it's always the one that um, people discuss and speculate about. I think inevitably they'll, um, um, they'll choose Jofra Archer, um, but um, I heard that a rumour that they'd had to um, reject an entry from Geoffrey Archer. Yes, Geoffrey Archer, of course, who will be... As we speak, recounting his heroic exploits on the field of, uh, of Lords last year. But I mean, I agree with you about Joffre Archer. And, I, and the Australian side, Marcus Labuschagne, I think, has to go in. He's an awesome player. He's got the second highest batting average uh, of Test match history at the moment. It was. The... And it was a very dramatic entry into Test cricket that he made. He just plucked out of, you know, out of, out of, out of visiting a county player. Um, there's a strong case for Pat Cummins as well, who's a great fast bowler, one of the. They're great fast bowlers and carried their attack in that series very, very well. They might be thinking of consolation for the New Zealand finalists in the World Cup because of the way that, the way that they lo- lost and the very sporting way they took it. They can't have Kane Williamson because he's been, got it before, but I think they might look at Ross Taylor, who's very long ser- has given long service to um, New Zealand cricket, still is, just played his 100th test. I completely agree. I think it would be... And also, there was something so unfair about the way New Zealand didn't win this. Actually, in some ways, I felt they were the moral winners and actually it would have been better if the, if the World Cup was actually tied in the end. It was given jointly to England and New Zealand. I still feel a bit embarrassed that it wasn't... It came down to the numbers of fours struck or something. I thought that was wrong. Yes, I think that's wrong too. I think it shouldn't matter... Really shouldn't be a decider how you score your runs um, in any game of cricket. If the scores are level, and if you can't, still can't separate the sides after a super over, um, I think they should split it. 
I, I felt that very strongly, and I, I, and I do think that therefore ta- Taylor should get it. I, I also think that Owen Morgan should get Taylor. Yes, he would. He's just very obviously a very strong contender, great leadership, and um, he hasn't won it before. They usually pick you know a player who's made runs in county cricket, and last year that would, I suppose would be Dom Sibley. I think was the leading scorer and got his way into the England side on the strength of it. And as a player who plays long innings in a rather old-fashioned way that we used to see in our in our youth. I slightly disagree with you about Sibley. I, 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 I like to see Rabi Bakara. I think you're right in saying that Rabi Bakara has never actually won it. He's, been, he's one of these old-fashioned players, very long, never quite made it at test level, but such a sturdy county player. Had such a great season for Essex. I would give it to Bapara over Sibley. Let Sibley prove himself at test level, which he's not done yet. There's a strong case of saying that. Um, they do usually pick somebody who's been, a, very often pick somebody who's been a sort of county stalwart, particularly if he's played for the champion county, as, um, as he did. Um, these days, they always look at, they increasingly they pick a woman player as well, as I suppose they should. And the um, two contenders, I suppose, would be both Australian. Last year, they might look at um, Elise Perry and they might look at uh, Elisa Healy. And I just was just thinking it'd be quite intriguing if they picked um, Elisa Healy and uh, Mitchell Stark because they'd um, be the first time they've ever picked a husband and wife. Gracious uh, me. Is that yeah. right? Yes. Is that, I mean, I never knew that Mitchell yeah. Stark was married to... Absolutely, Healy. they are. They are. They're married, um, and um, uh, he. They, they watch each other's matches as, as much as they can, and yeah, it'd be very um, intriguing to see them in this selected and in the same wisdom. That would be. Uh, that would be pretty pretty remarkable. Yeah, it'd be the romantic choice. I still can't quite go along there with Mitchell. Mitchell Stark didn't have his greatest season, did he? I mean, he, uh, well, and... he played three really great tests, and then he rather missed out on the last one. If I was choosing the top five, I think you have to have Joffre Archer because he was so magical last year. You have to have Marcus Labuschagne because his batting was sublime. You have to have Owen Morgan because this was his great year of triumph. You have to have the New Zealand captain, Ross Taylor, in my view. And then from the county game, you have to elevate recognise the career achievement of Ravi Bakara. I, I know Bakara, I know that that means leaving out Pat Cummings, who was amazing, um, Dom Sibley and so forth, but those are my five for this year. And I don't like not having a woman in it, but I think this last year's season was so dramatic on the World Cup and the um, Test match stage, that's, no, that's the tough decision I'm making this time. Ross Taylor I'd go with. He wasn't actually the captain of New Zealand. That's Kane Williamson. But I'll go for Joffre Archer, Pat Cummins, Owen Morgan, Ross Taylor and Elise Perry. Let's have a look at the obituaries. Oh, one always does. Yeah. And there is something about the passing of the years. We've, and this year was worse than most. I mean, with the number of great, wonderful players leaving slightly before our time, like Bob Willis. You know, such yes. a presence in your lifetime and mine as a cricketer with so many achievements, 1981 above all, but yes. then as a commentator. So we, how are we going to get by without Bob Willis? I mean, I, I know, yes. Um, it's it made a big difference. It will make a big difference as a 
as, as, as you say, as a player, but he made a big difference as a, as a commentator. He was always he was honest and, and forthright and spoke his mind. And, you know, what you saw is what you got with him. Um, and, you know, a very, very sad loss indeed, both departments. I um, also... I also think that Nurse and Butcher, uh, the two great me. West Indian batsmen of the 1960s. They were in the... Seymour yeah. Nurse, Basil Butcher, in that what? Frank Worrell team of 63. Yes, you watch them in the middle order. Um, they did a lot of... They scored a lot of runs to the West Indies. They scored a lot of critical runs to the West Indies. They, they, if, they, if early wickets had fallen, if one of them came in, they often pulled the side round. Um, they scored a lot of runs under pressure, and always very with a lot of authority. Particularly Seymour Nurse, a beautiful player to watch when he got going. He's not remembered for some reason as one of the great batsmen like Headley or Lara, but he's very nearly up there, isn't he, for the West Indies? He, he's very close to it. He made his last very big score in his very last Test match. He scored a double century to win a Test given a very big target against New Zealand. When was that? Because I, I associate him most vividly with the sort of mid-60s. When was his last Test match? I think his last Test was the series of... Now, when did they play it? They went to Australia in 67, 68. It wasn't a successful series under Sobers. And then they went on to New Zealand. He scored his double century there, as I remember. That was the end of that great period of West Indies cricket, wasn't it? They, they all they, got they, yeah, they all they got, all went over the top a bit, didn't they? They all... Sobers was still a great player, but he had to carry the. So was and Lance Gibbs was still in that side. They were still, um, but they were tending. Hall and Griffith had got old by then, and they were just getting. It was a great side that had, you know, perhaps played one. Were having to play one series too many in some cases. I think that's right. I mean, the other person I'm going to miss, Jack Bond, the Lancashire captain. Oh. Yep. I mean, that fabulous team. He's one of those sort of real players who, he, was, well, he never played test cricket, but he was a great county player, a great constructor of a county side. He was. I think he was a Wisdom Cricketer of the Year because of his, his captaincy um, and leading the way he led that. A very great Lancashire side with a lot of talent, but it still needed very strong leadership, which he gave it. Um, and, of course, he took that wonderful catch to win a Gillette Cup final, which got rid of... Uh, dismissed Azif Iqbal, who was winning it for Kent very easily. Would have been about 1970, was it 73 or 74? I know when that was. It was 1971, the superhuman catch which changed the game. The other player who, of course, had his moment, 15 minutes of fame, was Malcolm Nash. Oh, yeah. He was a very good bowler who, um, you know, very nearly played for England. Yeah, but the high point of your career is being hit for six sixes and an over. And the only thing, ultimately, he's remembered for. Well, there are a few things. He made a very good... He was very unlucky on the fifth of those sixes by Gary. Was, Gary Sobers might have been caught off it, but the fielder carried it over the line. He made a very good career out of after-dinner speaking about his, um, his achievement, so he got some consolation for it. And, of course, he's sort of immortal. He's in the record books forever. It's only happened once since in a first-class game. That was Ravi Shastri, didn't he hit six? Ravi Shastri did it. Yes, he did, off an Indian bowler. I think he was called Tilkart Raj. He becomes immortal. Ravi Shastri, I always remember, is rather a a stodgy batsman, so I I just can't picture him hitting six sixes, even off... I think he was a proper bowler. I never like records that are made off declaration bowling when they're just giving the runs away, but... 
Credit to Malcolm Nash, particularly. He was, every time, he, every ball he bowled in that over, he was trying to get Sobers out. He bowled straight and he gave Sobers something in range to hit. And also, of course, Sobers was the greatest player of his epoch, uh, you know, in world cricket, wasn't he? He's one of the, and so it's sort of right, morally right, that Sobers should be the first man to hit six sixes. I think he's still the greatest of all time, considering how much he did in all every department of the game. I mean, Bradman was the greatest batsman of all time, probably the greatest individual player, but Brad, Bradman didn't bowl. Bradman didn't field. He didn't create a specialist fielding position, so was the very first man to field an ultra-short leg without any protection and caught blinding catches there. Yeah, I think uh, it was something about Sobers, uh, which was... It was so natural. He had such ease, such grace, such beauty, such generosity of spirit. You know, something about Sobers of that, which brought, you know, rather a dour time in the world, you know, the 50s, when this young man arrives and starts yep. doing incredible things. Yeah, it's quite a stylish way to score your first century in Test cricket is to break the world record. <laughs> 365 <laughs> not out. Yeah. Admittedly, a, a slightly handicapped... Uh, Pakistan attack. I think there were only three bowlers in it, but still the runs have got to be scored, and and he scored them. And um, right at the end of his career, I had the pleasure of seeing the last century he ever scored in Test cricket at Lords, which was um, he was still batting beautifully. But I was told afterwards he had a an absolutely monster hangover because he liked to. Um, he thought he often thought he performed best after an all night party. Um, he had a monster hangover, and I was told afterwards he'd um, he had to retire after he completed the century to um, well to be sick in the pavilion. Um, they pulled him round, and he came out at the fall of the next wicket and scored another fifty um, without being dismissed. And then, when England batted, took six and followed on, <laughs> took six blinding catches, all with the same raging hangover. Is that the innings where you had to have a, also a, a drink brought out to him halfway through, a bourbon and ginger or something? Is that? I think that was done quite often, but um, his, I was told his, his mixture, they call it captain's mixture, was port and brandy together. Now, yeah. we cut, before we get onto the end of the test, we've got to deal with one other, because we both knew him, we both played, had the enormous honour very late on in his life of playing with him, Abdul Qadir, who when we Wonderful. toured in... I mean, when we toured, I mean, he was, he's the man who reinvented leg spin bowling. He was. Uh, it was thrilling to watch that happen. Thrilling to watch the um, early part of his career when he, you know, burst back and reinvented this art. Leg spin bowling, at least in England, had been so kind of forgotten that umpires couldn't read him. He got so frustrated with um, umpiring decisions not being given for him that he used to... Um, announces deliveries to English umpires before he before he'd actually deliver them, you know, flipper, googly, you know, leg break and so on, just so that they wouldn't miss anything. That's but, in the uh, 1982 series when he... 1982, when, yes. Yep, yep. When Imran Khan led that Pakistan, lovely Pakistan team, which and he, with yep. great courage, actually, had chosen uh, Abdul out of almost nowhere to come. Uh, and he bamboozled, as you say, the uh, umpires as well as the batsmen. Umpire Constance yes. was was uh, was not, I don't think, the greatest English umpire of all time and failed to give a lot of decisions which really were out. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, he was a very, very opinionated umpire, shall we say, being diplomatic. And um, certainly the Pakistanis on that tour felt hard done by. 
when we were writing our second book, I found a lovely poem about um, Abdul on that tour. It was one he actually loved, understandably. Anyway, it goes, The bold English batsman appears at the crease and tries not to show any fear, but the ball's in the air. It'll spin who knows where from Abdul the bowling Kadir. And the, um, when I gave that, uh, told him about that, he was delighted. He had it printed and framed in large print in his office of, his, of the cricket school he founded. And he always um, asked me to recite it again whenever I met him. <laughs> I, we, we did, Richard and I have uh, written a, a, two books on Pakistan cricket, travelled hugely around Pakistan. And of course, one of the great joys was actually going to interview Abdul Qadir in his the office of his academy in Lahore. Richard, what's your memory of that? Because it was such a privilege, actually. Well, it was a privilege. One, my mem- main memory of um, that interview is just watching Abdul's hands because he span either a real or an imaginary cricket ball continually, as if he was replaying his entire career um, right in front of you. He was always spinning something uh, whenever I met him. Uh, I met him several years afterwards. Uh, there was, if there wasn't a real ball in his hands, he was always um, bowling an imaginary one. He told us in his very early days as a child, he used to dream different grips and he could bowl. And yes. they obviously worked for him. He'd, he'd dream, you know, what happens if I spin the ball like this? And he'd try them out in match play and he, always, he could bowl any of his stock deliveries in three different ways, which made him, of course, very difficult to read. He was also the most incredibly generous and lovely man. We, we took a team to Pakistan in 2014 and he came and played for us in two or three games. And he was still a master of his art. I mean, and to say, Abdul, uh, will you, Kadir, will you come on, on at yeah. the pavilion end, please? That was a sort of a bit of a joy, really, a bit of a moment. A joy for you, yes, a joy for you. And he was so enthusiastic in those games. I mean, he, he, you know, he was still playing as if his life depended on it. He was still appealed as frantically as he ever would and as, as he ever used to in test matches. Um, he coached, he mentored us very, very well. Um, it was, must have been a bit tragic for a, for a great player like that, um, backed by a, you know, a, a, a proper test team, must have been quite an ordeal to see, um, to see our fielding. Our wicketkeeper, Peter Swab, he took a very good stumping off uh, Abdul Qadir. Quite right. I'm not doing him justice. Yep. And it was a great moment in Peter's life, too, to take a stumping off. I mean, and also whenever he came on to bowl, the crowds, we had big crowds, and they just went crazy for him. They did. Yep. And he played to them as he did as he did to, in, his, in his career. He still had that very aggressive run-up that um, Imran Khan actually told him to, um, to adopt. It's interesting. Abdul had an orthodox leg break action at the start of his career, and it was Imran Khan told him to remodel it, do something more dramatic and threatening. And that's how he developed that extraordinary sort of diagonal, um, aggressive, bustling run up to the wicket and the, the whirls of the arm and the glares. They were all um, acting techniques taught by Imran. Yeah, he was. And it was just this terrible thing, because he's only, what, about 60, when suddenly we heard this awful news that he was dead. Yes. Had, I just, did he, it was very sudden and it unexpected. It was unexpected. I'd seen him the previous year and he was in great form. Um, and he, he had, I was told, had a very sad last year. It was um, there were a lot of financial worries. There was a financial dispute with his employer, one of the um, banks who was coaching their team. But he'd um, had a troubled last year and it 
took his took a toll on him. But I mean, he was a man who brought so much joy to so many millions of people, and, and for all the right reasons, he he left the world a much better place. He than did. He entered it, and I do adore that man. He do, and famously, he taught some of his skills to um, pass them on to Shane Warne. So, in a sense, he lives on, um, and no doubt Shane Warne has passed them on. So, the the torch of leg break bowling. Um, has been restored by Abdul, and, it, and it's still, and it's it's now very much aflame. Now I, I I'm now going to move us on to our final subject, which is the Wisdom Cricket Book of the Year. Oh. Um, and it's a phenomenal. I was looking at the list of um, the Cricket Society books, and it's a phenomenal list of books this year, actually, um, uh, up for recognition, uh, and um, so much to. My, I can feel my mouth watering, actually, as I look down the list. The first one I want to mention, you know, is this wonderful writer who I think is not celebrated enough, Stephen Chalk. Through the Remembered Gate is this, his, his sort of memoir has produced this book. But he has invented a new form of cricket history. Oral, he's an oral historian of the game. I mean, there's so many, he's picked up so many fascinating lives and given them shape, and he's talked to people, he listens to people, he doesn't impose his own personality, he just allows them to be themselves. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I thought his two books on county cricket were absolutely superb, and he did those, as you say, he didn't impose his own personality, he lets old county players talk for themselves in the 50s and 60s. Um, Keith and Andrew, or people like that. You know, not like good that. L- you know, sometimes, yeah. yeah, sometimes not even... You know, Keith Andrew had a test career and a, uh, was a leading coach. Sometimes it's people you've sort of, you know, you saw on the scorecard and you know, just hadn't thought about until um, Stephen could have revived them. A name that comes to me is Ken Bidolf of, of, of yes. Set. And, um But then he teases out a lot of great memories from them. And in those books, he um, kind of edits in with a few details the world in which they're playing, the the world of the 1950s or the 1960s, and um, you know, just little details, prices, advertisements, the films that were showing at the time, what they did for post-match entertainment, and he brings it all back, and it's another world, and that's been a great service to cricket history in recent times. Yeah, long may he continue, because it's a unique uh, uh, kind of experiment. He also no no publisher would ever take any of his books. And so he formed his own publishing house to publish them. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but he's one of my <laughs> heroes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen uh, Chalk. I mean, yeah. what about... And then we I've have the life I've, of... I've, I've, played a few, I've played a few games of cricket against him. I used to play his village quite fairly regularly in, in Wiltshire. Really? Um, Where's that? Oh, God, what's his village called? Um... South Raxall, that was it. Can't be that far away from where I'm sitting in that case no, here. It's no, I, I, sun's it was, out and it was we, quite it was quite deep in West it's big county Wiltshire. Remember it's quite deep in sort of West Wiltshire. Um very nice very nice ground. Now um who would you choose as this year's cricket uh, book of the year, Richard? Well, I'm in a slight difficulty. I missed a lot of cricket books last year because I was I missed a lot of cricket last year because I kept having a bout of a flu long before COVID, um, and I was knocked out for days on end. One book that passed a lot of time for me, 
which I enjoyed is Marcus Berkman's Cricket Miscellany, which has got the sort of tons of the little obscure facts that well, we like to kick around. A few books are very much, which I didn't read at the time, are very much um, on my list. Duncan Hamilton's a superb cricket writer, and I, I want to read his book on cricket in the age of of, um, of Cardus. Oh, yes, that's a, that's an absolutely glorious book. Oh. And um, I, everybody has to read that. I mean, Cardus was one of the most engaging um, journalists of his era, extraordinary life that he led. You know, he come from real poverty uh, mm. in Manchester and becomes a cricket professional and then established himself not just as a writer about cricket, but as a writer about opera. And he's written... I'm longing to return to his autobiography, actually, having read that book, mm. because his autobiography is fascinating. I want to read Christopher Sanford's book. I think he's a very good historian as well. I want to read... Read his book, it's on my list, of um, the cricketers of summer 1939. Um, it's got a sort of echo today because um, all those cricketers in 39 broke up and at the end of the season probably wondered when they'd ever play cricket again. There are two biographies of Somerset, um, autobiographies of Somerset stalwarts I like to look at. One is Victor Marx's and the other is um, Fred Rumsey's. Fred Rumsey was an interesting man as a player because he was a cricketing trade unionist. He worked very hard in the 60s to set up the Professional Cricketers Association with a lot of help from John Arlott. So that's an interesting piece of cricket history. Once again, it's published by Fairfield Books, which is Stephen Chalk's imprint. Absolutely, yep. And I mean, I, I tell you what, it's so enticing, this year's book selection. I mean, Christopher Samford's not just done a... His book about 1939. He's also got John Murray, A Life of John Murray, which I tell you what, that he was one of the great wicket keepers, rather, um, rather forgotten actually. John Murray, the Windlesex keeper, he was rather squeezed up by Alan Knott and Jim Parks and, and Keith Andrew. But I mean, mm. he was a phenomenal uh, wicket keeper, and of course, had that famous partnership with Ken Graveney at Lords in the Oval Test in, in 66, which that mm. in itself. You know, do you remember that? We were all done and, out and suddenly this amazing test match when we hammered the Gary Sober's West Indies. Yes, it was a dead series in a sense, but it was a fantastic um, win against the odds. Murray, Murray scored a century and that was the time the um, tail-enders, I mean, when it was Snow and Higgs, wasn't it? Had a huge stand. Yeah, 130, I think, Ken Higgs and John Snow. That's right. And Ken, I remember Close had been brought back after Cowdery was sacked after the fourth test, I think. Uh, DB Close yes. came in. He didn't actually score any runs to speak of, but he, he somehow he brought a new spirit to the England England team. Uh, I want to have a, uh, a shout for Prashant Kidambi, who's written a oh. very, very important history of the first Indian team to talk England in 1911 before the First World War. Uh, and it's a, it's, I think this potentially will be seen as a great book, actually. It's uh, you know, the Indian team, which has Muslims, Hindus... Parsis. Parsis. Untouchable. One untouchable. Was well, the leading player, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Um, a great bowler. It's, it's an amazing portrait yep. of, uh, of England in 1911 and India in 1911. I think it's a phenomenal book. Was. That was a book that was that was the team that was, was that, that was captained by the Maharaja of Patiala, wasn't it? But he couldn't do much um, cricket because he was on duty um, for so many events at the coronation. 
George, George the Fifth, you know, absent, you know, it's sort of. I don't know if they put an entry in the scorecard, you know, absent coronation, you know. <laughs> yes, it was. I mean, there's just so much here uh, in the um, history of in- history of Indian spin bowling by Aninja Dutta. I yes, mean, that could be a thick volume, the history of Indian spin bowling. Yeah. Yeah, and Graham Fowler has written a book about very important book. It's, it's sec- I think it's a second or third on the. Um, you know, on the mental side of the game, which is becoming a much more prominent topic because cricketism, I think led by himself, have become far less reluctant to talk about their, their mental problems. Um, so many great players in the past were, were clouded by it, um, but never spoke about it. Now they, they're much more upfront about it. Yeah. Is there one where you would, you would choose as your book, book of the year this year for Winston? Oh, um, it's a very tough choice this year. Um, I'm going to go for the Christopher Sanford's book on 39, just because I, I suppose I love history so much. And I think because I love Indian cricket so much, I'm going to go... For, and also, I do think it's a very distinguished uh, book, Prashant Kidambi's uh, account of the 1911 tour, but which is so much more than just an account of the 1911 tour. But there's so many other books I, which this year, for me, would merit winning outright. Do you know, I actually um, once had the uh, privilege of of choosing the Wisdom Book of the Year. I, I, I was the writer who wrote the review of all the books. All through the summer, I, I receive a pile of books once a week from Wisdom. Uh, and about 60 or 70 in all came through my uh, front door. Wow. <laughs> it was my duty to read them. Gosh, it was a pleasant thing to do. You know, it was great fun. I really enjoyed it. But it was a slightly dull year. But one book really stood out for me, which was Wazim Khan's life story. Uh, he just re- retired from a very unsuccessful career as a county player. Um, he never really got anywhere. A lot of bad luck, injuries, and sort of event chances never went his way. And he retired at a, sort of in his late twenties, uh, but with no resentment, no recrimination, and it was a very interesting study in failure. But it never surprised me since that Wasim Khan's gone on to have a huge impact uh, on the game of cricket because uh, he went off to become a really good manager or was he chief executive of the Warwick? Chief executive, cricket? yes. Chief executive of Pakistan cricket, which has been a thankless job for a lot of people in the past. Um, and um, But, uh, yeah, he's um, running Pakistan cricket under, SM, under our friend Essen Mani. And I think they're going to really build a, with Imran Khan as prime minister, of course, going to build up Pakistan as a, one of the great periods of Pakistan cricket. You saw that with this year's Pakistan Super League, uh, which was going so well until suddenly uh, coronavirus brought everything to an end. Yeah, it's great. It's, I mean, it's a tragedy for all cricket playing countries, but it's, I think, particularly sad for Pakistan because there was a real prospect that they were getting reintegrated into the inter- into the international scene and that international players were ready to come back to Pakistan. They were going to receive um, international tours and now that's all in suspense again. Well, as it is everywhere. I remember it was a really difficult choice choosing the book of the year because some years there's a standout choice. Often there's five or six which rival each other. I think that's right. And it's um, do, you, do you know who's doing it this year? Who's choosing? I haven't a clue. Oh. Um, except that I feel very <laughs> envious of them, whoever they are. I know. 
Um, they might want to keep it a secret. Were you asked to keep it a secret the year you did it? These days there might be a you know, special influence and um, log rolling or even... Was there any betting on it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Any suspicious activity in the bookmakers? Presumably you weren't allowed to have a bet on it. I don't know if it was actually bet on, but obviously there is scope for people to put pressure on you, publishers or authors. Um, yeah. And so you do need to keep a uh, careful distance from friends, um, publishers and so forth who might want you to big up their books. Yeah. I mean, quite outside of cricket, as we know, there's a lot of log rolling in the book in the book world and um you know i'll I'll help yours and um you help mine i tried to get a a sort of mutual assistance pact at the london library years ago this is going way off um the topic but um i discovered rather embarrassingly that none of the none of my books had ever been borrowed from the london library (laughs) and um i tried to form a mutual assistance pact with a few other authors who'd never been borrowed but i you know, I said, I'll borrow yours if you borrow mine. But um, sadly, nothing came of it. And mine certainly have been unborrowed, are still unborrowed. I don't believe it. You're... I went there before it's closed. Yep. You've written some masterpieces in my, The Tale of Ten Wickets, absolute beautiful oh. study of, a, of oh. a cricket club, in my view. Oh, thank and, you so uh, much. And many yeah. others since, Richard. Oh, thank you. Yep. But... Including our joint book. <laughs> well, our joint books, were another, that's another story. But the ones... My solo efforts tend to be... I've seen a lot of them in um, in cricket dressing rooms, you know, uh, which I've presented after matches, and they, they're still there the next year. Um, in our tour of... One of our tours of India, we made years ago with Mihir Bowes. We, we presented A Tale of Ten Wickets to all of our hosts, and um, I remember, see, after one evening, um, which we presented the book, I went to the same past that same venue the next morning and it was being sold on the pavement for I think um you know 10 rupees the copy we'd presented so that was you know just put me in my place anyway well if I'd been passing by Richard I'd have uh, snapped it up and an absolute bargain at uh, 10 rupees I can really recommend that book it's actually a very profound study of the psychology of uh, weekend cricketers and uh, their, their lives and what it means their performances and and their family life it's, it's actually a brilliant book i think i'm going That's to very, very we got to well no i uh, we right. are going to but next week uh, is really a momentous week because we're going to be actually reviewing uh, wisdom as it appears it's it's a, it's going to be uh, the embargo it ends on wednesday the 8th at 8 30 a.m and so it's close to 8 30 a.m on wednesday we're going to have our second podcast discussing what wisdom has actually come up with. The real wisdom, not the one we're speculating about. We'll see if any of, we were right about any of our choices, the five cricketers of the year, um, and um, we'll review what, what wisdom actually said, and perhaps in a rather melancholy way, wonder if <laughs> uh, what they'll be writing about next year. Actually, you're quite right. When will there, I mean, this is the first time um, this is uh, since the Middle Ages, isn't it, Richard, that cricket has actually been banned by the by the government? Yes, it's not been banned as such, but a cricket match would be an illegal assembly, um, wouldn't it? And um, it, uh, it, it's one that we, it, it's one that's rather hard to conceal. I mean, uh, you know, you could think of, you know, illegal cricket matches being played, you know, rather like, you know, like illegal cockfights or whatever used to be. But they're rather hard to conceal. 
And they're rather easy, it occurred to me, for the the police to stop. I mean, they don't need to um, arrest people and seize people. They just need to um, send up a red drone behind the bowler's arm, and that brings the game to a grinding halt. <laughs> Is it being played anywhere in the world at the moment, cricket? Well, if you go to um, any of the you know online websites, uh, Crick Info, Cricket Archive, whatever, that give you know live scores, you'll find nothing. You'll just find you know, old scores being repeated. I've even, you know, I've looked in obscure places. I've looked in Bhutan. You know, they've just taken up cricket in Bhutan. The Dragons were doing well. And I'll be looking at next year's wisdom to see if they kicked on from 2018 into 2019. But no, they're not even playing in remote Bhutan in the Himalayas. Maybe China, where they are rumoured to have defeated the virus at last. Perhaps oh. the Chinese cricket team, which is there, of which there is certainly a team. Yes, the Chinese... they they Maybe were beaten by, they were beaten by Bhutan. You can see the the um, Bhutan beat them in a video you can see on YouTube, and it's a fascinating video to watch because it looks the venue in Bhutan looks like the sort of English park pitch where we have played a lot of our matches, and a lot of the Chinese bowling looks like the bowling that we produce. But certainly China do have a, a cricket team. They play in all red, and I suspect. Uh, they'll start cricket again in China ahead of almost anywhere else to, to support their claim that they've licked the virus. Well, until we'll find out about a bit more about that next week, when we will be back on the 8th with the new season's wisdom, wisdom 2020, and we're going to give our assessment and the big reveal about who are going to be the five cricketers of the year and much besides. And much besides, um, there'll be about Going to be a very great speed reading job we're going to have to do. There's now 1,500, I should think, very closely typed pages in small print. This year, a lot of people are sadly again uh, in the absence of cricket to watch or play. I think a lot of people are going to read this year's wisdom from cover to cover. Um, even the sections you tend to pass over normally, like changes in administration of this and that. Every page of wisdom, of course, is worth reading in my considered opinion do you know i took a remarkable thing actually our mutual friend giles clark who mm-hmm. was ran english cricket notoriously was quite unpopular in some circles he had an amazing ability giles i was once uh, padded up to go into bat with him somewhere and there was a few wisdoms from the 1930s lying around uh, and uh, he had this gift i'd say well how many did australia score in the second innings of the third test match at trent bridge in 1934 and he would tell you exactly and then I thought well I went a bit further than that I said how many did sort of Larwood get in that match and he knew exactly how many runs and how Larwood he had a photographic memory for cricket matches it was incredible wow but that particular question would have been easy because Harold Larwood didn't play in 1934 he'd been he'd been um, he'd been politically maneuvered out of the England team as was Douglas Jardine and um, the Australians came over and faced an attack without Larwood or Vos, the, the bodyline destroyers in 1934. All right. So we'll find out about a bit more about that next week when we will be back on the 8th with the new season's wisdom, wisdom 2020. And so until next week, goodbye from Wiltshire. And goodbye from Roberto Towers, London South East. Mm-hmm.